I think of it as, uh, you know, to go a little bit into Star Wars, you're not Luke in the story. You're kind of like Obi-Wan giving Luke the lightsaber, right? And your product is the lightsaber. And how can we help this person excel at their job, get promoted, and, and so on? Welcome to the Vitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Jonathan Siddharth, CEO and founder of Turing, a company that lets you unlock the world's engineering talent at the touch of a button. With their AI-backed intelligent talent cloud, they help you source, vet, match, and manage the world's best software developers remotely so you can spin up your engineering dream team. Turing is a company that's raised more than $140 million in venture capital, and they're valued at more than a billion dollars. And we dive into how Jonathan started this company, what they've done to grow, and much, much more. Let's dive in. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Justin. Thanks for having me here. Excited, excited to be on the podcast. Yeah, with Turing, a lot of progress. More recently, you continue to grow the company. You know, late in 2021, you announced another round of funding that we come to over a billion dollars. I always find that fascinating, but more fascinating is how this gets started and how this journey kind of happened. But for those people who don't know what Turing is, tell us about the company, Jonathan. Yeah, thank you, Justin. So, uh, so Turing recently, as you mentioned, became a unicorn, and more recently, we we were raising at a at a four billion uh, valuation cap. The uh, so the journey really began in uh, in 2018. Uh, I I'd, I'd sold my first startup, um, and I I'd, I'd taken a little bit of a a breather between that to figure out what I wanted to do next. Um, I also contemplated uh, did I want to become a VC uh, for a period of time. And after sort of that period of recharging, and for all serial entrepreneurs, I suggest at least six months to decompress <laughs> before before jumping into anything. And I was fortunate to take a take a good break. And at that time, it became very clear to me that uh, I did want to start another company. Um, VC seemed like uh, this may sound controversial, something that I should maybe do when I'm a lot older. Oh, uh, I get and, it. <laughs> yeah. And my first company was such an amazing learning journey for me. Uh, I I learned through a lot of sort of firsthand mistakes that I'd made. And I, I had this itch to do something bigger, better with that experience that comes from that first journey. And I teamed up with my co-founder from my first uh, startup again. We'd met at Stanford at grad school many years ago. And um, we were invited by um, Ashu Garg from Foundation Capital uh, to be in uh, EAR at Foundation. And at that time, I, when I was reflecting on sort of what is what would be a good company to start, it became clear that, uh, this was 2018, by the way, uh, it became clear that the key actually, the, the moment of inception was probably when I was running my first startup, where uh, at one point we realized that it was just really hard to recruit in the Bay Area. And this was like 2012 or so. And uh, we had to make the decision to look beyond Silicon Valley for Silicon Valley caliber talent. Um, and I realized like that was going to be the future. I mean, if, if you were a tech company and you were looking to hire engineers, do you want to hire the best people in the world or do you want the people who happen to be living near your office? Right? Like, yeah. Obviously, it's the best people in the world. So we started with that thesis in 2018. And when the pandemic hit in 2020, the world changed. And I feel like the, a future that was arriving got accelerated by at least five years. Yeah. 
and we now live in a remote first world every tech company today is in a race to reap the benefits of remote engineering talent if you look at linkedin twitter coinbase robinhood everyone's going remote the reasons are obvious you get to tap into a planetary pool of engineers uh, you get to look in geographies that nobody else is looking like latin america africa central europe eastern europe southeast asia etc and the last 3 years have demonstrated the proven success of distributed teams but remote is hard and it's hard for three big reasons uh, first it's really hard to build a large enough global pipeline to find truly yeah. great engineers so if you're a head of engineering at coinbase one of our customers um how do you build a pipeline of tens of thousands of golang engineers in brazil uh and second when you're evaluating the global engineering talent pool uh it can be hard to assess the quality of the talent um if you look at an engineer let's say from sao paulo brazil you're not going to see stanford berkeley in her educational background you're not going to see google facebook stripe in her work experience she could be an amazing engineer but there is no but there is not enough signal in the resume so how can you evaluate a global engineering talent pool if you're a head of engineering who wants to build a team without sucking up all of your internal teams interviewing bandwidth right so that's hard yeah third uh justin if you were to guess like what's the hardest thing for an engineering manager when they are building a remote distributed team like what what would your guess be there's a few things i think of one is it comes to mind is potentially pay and figuring out that side of it the onboarding yes. and payroll stuff is another thing maybe yes so onboarding is hard and compensation uh, paying international payments could be hard um fundamentally onboarding is hard because communication is hard and uh, communication is hard because time zones are hard in distributed teams often the right kind of daily communication weekly communication performance management doesn't happen often the right kind of mentorship doesn't happen often the manager doesn't have enough visibility into the work being done is this person really working are they working yeah. on the right things that can be hard and if you are a company like johnson and johnson um or coinbase um or rivian like one of our some of our customers security or also matters a lot right so communication matters a lot security matters a lot so these are the three big problems number one it's hard to build a large global pipeline to find truly great engineers number two evaluating that pipeline can be hard without burning up all your internal teams engineering bandwidth and number three ongoing management can be hard solving for communication security etc this is why we built turing there's i appreciate you sharing all that and there's so much to dive into one thing i can't i can't skip this is 2018 you're talking about this obviously everyone knows in 2020 what happened and this kind of shift that we got accelerated towards in terms of the workforce but yeah. in 2018 when you're you took a little break you're figuring things out you're in a yeah ir program as well at that point yeah. you're looking at the market you're seeing this opportunity yeah. but to take that from seeing an opportunity to starting the company to which angle are we taking with this just tell me the more of your your thinking of getting to enough conviction for you to start the company to do that because everyone sees problems or we have ideas but you got conviction enough to like okay I'm going to potentially spend the next decade and beyond yes. on this problem just tell me more about that at that time in 2018 yeah so so th- th- that's actually the most important phase in company building for any founder uh, i feel like before you start a company it's okay to spend at least 6 months deciding whether this is the right opportunity to go after in my first company like one of the mistakes i made was i mean i was a computer science student at stanford so it was like code first and ask questions later <laughs> exactly build things first and then we'll see <laughs> yeah then we'll see and that's the wrong approach right 
um, like uh, one of my um, uh, mentors and now uh, board member, Ashu Gargat Foundation, his approach is like, uh, like for the first three months, you should not write any code <laughs> and you should just be talking to as many customers to validate the opportunity. And the thing I did that I learned from my first experience that I changed in my second company was really spend time figuring out the market um, uh, viability. Like, is this a big enough market? Do people really want what you're trying to sell and offer, right? So when I was an EAR at Foundation Capital, I met with a ton of potential customers. I, and I actually had two ideas I was evaluating, like, uh, okay, yeah. should I start a company here or here? It became very clear to when speaking with customers, which was the better opportunity. So you want to pick a big market where it's, where it's an insanely hard problem and where, which is not very crowded, right? Like the, you don't want a market where different people are telling the same customer the same things. Whether or not they can solve the problem the same way doesn't matter, but the yeah. customer is getting inundated with the same message, which makes your CAC higher and your, uh, your opportunity to win uh, a little bit more challenging. Well, definitely you should take the time to interview a lot of customers and you have to do that in an intellectually honest way. By that, I mean, don't uh, look for yes, like almost <laughs> look for a no, right? And um, so during that phase, I was measuring both uh, market viability uh, and um, my own excitement in going after one problem uh, uh, versus another. And I remember at the time, like uh, I was on a date and... Um, uh, like the, the the girl I was on a date with, like asked me, I, I told her sort of, hey, these are these two two companies that I'm thinking thinking of. And I described both to her like in, in about um, two minutes each, right? And she was like, Jonathan, you sounded 10x more excited about this 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 thing. <laughs> that was like a, that was an insight for me. I, I didn't know I was 10x more excited about it, but it apparently was clear like in the way I communicated. And that was also a signal. Look for market and look for your own fit to that market. Yeah, I think it's under maybe undervalued, underutilized when people talk about founder product or founder market fit. Like you yeah. choosing the right company to work on. I mean, that's everything, especially when you're thinking about obviously you want the right market, everything. But for you as the founder who are going to lead this thing, like are you the right person to do this or not? Because yeah. you could you could start any company, right? In theory, yeah. so it's like why are you the person to start this? With that too, so you had the insight. It became clear through talking to customers. Obviously, the first thing you do, like figure out if this is viable or not. That became clear. And you have this kind of grand vision where you kind of formulate that along the way, but maybe in the, in the beginning days, it's not like you're not going to tackle everything at once. You can't boil the ocean. So where did you launch getting your first customers, what the product looked like? I'd love to hear more about the early days and we'll, we'll kind of come forward to today as well. Yeah. So we surprisingly did not change much in terms of the product compared to what you saw in 2018 versus what you see today. We launched with push a button to get a pre-vetted engineer. Like, what if spinning up your engineering dream team in the cloud is as easy as spinning up servers on Amazon, right? So, um, so it was as simple as that. And this was still the biggest problem for most founders, most tech companies, like finding great engineering talent. And what if somebody could solve all of that hassle for you? Like they've pre-vetted these engineers for a Silicon Valley bar, cast a planet-wide net for you so that you don't have to. So we started with that. Uh, it started with about... Uh, I remember setting a goal of, uh, hey, we are launching now. And in this first month, we need five customers. <laughs> and it was just five. And it was pretty crazy and fun. Like, I remember there was one customer 
uh, opportunity that came up at a time when I was having an offsite with our team. So we were in Santa Cruz at the time. We were actually at a restaurant having lunch and this customer call was coming. So I, I, I remember speaking with the bartender there to turn down the music. We essentially had the <laughs> restaurant shut down and become a meeting conference room where our team, like, like we shushed everybody else. It's like the <laughs> restaurant is sort of listening in on you making a sale. Yeah. <laughs> you got that customer on board. Like we, we were just fast like that. And uh, so, so that was kind of fun. And I remember at that time, like those initial five customers, like um, I remember being with my head of engineering on some of them. Uh, I was dating a girl who uh, became my wife shortly afterwards. And, and this was like our first trip that we'd, uh, that we'd taken at the time to, um, I think, San Diego. And during like like a like date night, I think that was Saturday night or something like that, like there was a customer call and it was me, our head of engineering, on the, on the phone to, to close that. And we hit the goal of getting to that five customers that month. I think the lesson is like you just, it's, it's all, it's not very scalable at the time. Yeah. And you kind of have to do un- non-scalable things. Um, and it takes a, a certain sort of force of will to make it happen. Fortunately, like um, because my first company was successful, we had a lot of um, we had a lot of friends of the company uh, at Turing. Uh, there were a lot of people who wanted what we were building, uh, and that's another sort of signal of uh, product market fit. I used to think my first startup had product market fit, uh, <laughs> but after Turing, I've realized like probably not. Like it just feels very different. Like when people want what you're building. And with that too, it's definitely a little bit deeper. So with those first few customers, you had friends, so you kind of rely on that a little bit. Like, did you kind of hone in on who that t- customer was going to be in terms of you know the size of the company, the type of company, like which ones? Because there obviously are many different markets you could go after. In theory, you could take a top-down approach, you could take a bottoms-up approach. Like, take me through that in terms of the customer at that time, or the insight you got into. Okay, we're going to scale this thing obviously to a multi-billion-dollar company, but like. What market are we going after now? How are we going to progress? I'd love to hear like, how you thought through that, at least. Yeah, I, I think there are um, there are a few things to figure out in that early GTM process. Uh, the first is, uh, what is your customer segment? Are you going after startups or are you going after enterprise? But then you've got to be a little bit more granular. Like, what is the role and job title of the person that you're going after? Like, are you going after a VP of engineering, director of engineering, CTO, CEOs? Um, uh, head of product, like so, you need to know the exact persona, the job title of the person that you're you're going after, so that you can craft your message and your uh, your sales material, your conversations, in a way that will really resonate with somebody with that job title. And one way to think about it is, um, how can you help this person get promoted or be, be amazing at their job, right? Yeah. Um, it, it, the I think of it as. Uh, you know, to go a little bit into Star Wars, it's a little bit like uh, you're not Luke in the story. Like you're kind of like Obi-Wan giving Luke the lightsaber, right? And your product mm. is the lightsaber. And who's this, um, like, how can we help this person excel at their job, get promoted and, and so on? And you also have to map out the sales process itself. For example, for some companies, there's one decision maker and that person's going to decide and that's it. In some cases... You might, you might have to talk to a few different people. In Turing's case, like depending on the type of customer, sometimes you're speaking with, it's just the head of engineering that's involved. Sometimes it's head of engineering, head of recruiting. Um, sometimes it's the CTO or the CEO. So you kind of have to know navigate the 
you have to map out what the decision making process would look like so you so you so you do that so it's uh, you you if you're if you're doing early segmentation uh, the 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 lesson is to be very specific as yeah. specific as you can be about who you're going going after and having uh, very granular sort of uh, messaging that that works for that particular persona um, i would i would suggest um, have a lot of friendly conversations just like i did with potential customers before even going there yeah you you kind of know how to talk about uh, your company with them uh, the goal is not to ask them uh, hey if we built this would you buy this <laughs> that usually biases the response you would get uh, yeah. it's much better to just talk openly about what frustrates you today like with with hiring remote engineers or going after uh, or building a great engineering team like what what are your hardest problems today how are you solving those problems and approaching those early conversations from a place of curiosity rather than a place of selling or looking for an answer you want to hear <laughs> to that point yeah then there's there's really two two parts of this right there's companies that are choosing to work with Turing and hire yes. your engineers there's engineers that are signing out to be part of like Turing so they get these companies let's start with the company side first like today yeah. Why are com- there's different options for hiring? There's hiring your in-house recruiters. There's uh, you could have a, a there's there's so many different platforms you could use in theory. Yeah. But as you get more niche, there's different ones as well. Yeah. Why is a company choosing Turing today? Yeah. I mean, companies are choosing Turing because um, of three main reasons. Number one, speed. A company wants to push a button, and like when we ask them, how soon do you need your your engineers? <laughs> they say like last week, right? Yeah. Last of week. course. <laughs> Uh, so they care about speed, and second, they care about uh, Silicon Valley caliber talent, like high quality talent. For many tech companies in Silicon Valley, they are a little bit nervous when you're telling them, "Hey, you have this pool from pool of developers planet wide." They are a yeah. little bit nervous when, uh, in gen- like before Turing existed, when they when all they had were marketplaces. It's like you can't assess the quality of the talent. So in Turing's case, they like that we vetted them for a Silicon Valley bar, whether it's a full stack front end, back end mobile, AI, data science, DevOps, for a wide variety of tech stacks, for a wide variety of seniority levels, like ICs, tech leads, tech lead managers, end managers, et cetera. So they like the quality of our vetting. Yeah. And third, they like that the talent is reliable. So these are engineers who are going to stay with you for a very long period of time and get the job done. They're not going to ghost you. Like, uh, like not many times, we've all been burnt by marketplaces where, which are kind of hit or miss in terms of quality. Uh, I mean, they do a good job, but they, you know, you 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 it, marketplaces attract more gig-minded uh, people. Turing yes. attracts more career-oriented developers. So our customers value speed, the quality of the vetted talent, the quality and the seniority, and the fact that the talent is reliable and retains for a long uh, period of time. Um, we are creating a new category, and we call this category Talent Cloud. It's a distributed team of developers in the cloud that's sourced by software, vetted by software, matched by software, and managed by software. And it helps that our engineering team comes from Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, etc., that are known for having a high bar for evaluating engineers, managing their productivity. So they trust our vetting engine as a result of that. Well, let's dive into that process because like, I want to know that side of it too. So finding these engineers and then obviously having them go through Turing to find their next role, like take me through that side of things too. Yeah. So a, a, a big part of Turing's um, secret sauce is our vetting and matching. 
So we've built a Silicon Valley caliber vetting engine in the cloud. It, it takes about three to four hours to automatically evaluate an engineer along three dimensions. The first dimension is job type, full stack, front end, back end, mobile, AI, data science, DevOps, etc. The second dimension is tech stack. So if you say full stack, maybe front end frameworks like React, back end frameworks like Node, database like PostgreSQL or, or, and, and so on. So about 100 different tech stacks. And the third dimension is seniority. Do you, are you looking for an IC? Are you looking for a tech lead or a tech lead manager or an eng manager? So we've built a vetting engine that can vet across uh, all of these permutations. And we have about, um, we, we vet for like, I would say like almost, if you look at a, the cross product of this, it's about uh, almost like 10,000 combos. Um, and the output of our vetting is what we call a deep developer profile which is a detailed, comprehensive, continuously updating vector representation of a developer's strengths and areas for improvement. So it's a vector where components of the vector are scores for this engineer based on these various attributes. And we use machine learning to, um, to weight these different features to figure out which features are very important for a developer's success in a job, which features are not as important. We weight them appropriately because we have the benefit of tens of thousands of developers going through our vetting, we have the perfect data set to do supervised machine learning where we've seen positive and negative examples of uh, who does well, who doesn't do well based on the results of our vetting. So we use all of that to rank developers based on all of these attributes for a specific job. So that when a customer, uh, let's say Justin, you're starting a, um, like, a, like an iPhone app for um, simplifying podcasting. So, we would, our machine learning models would search through a pool of like 1.2 million developers on Turing to find out who are the top three developers who'd be perfect for Justin, given his needs and the stage of Justin's uh, startup company. And we'll give you these three pre-vetted developers and you don't even have to interview them. You can start working with them. You get a two week zero risk trial period, work with them for two weeks. If for any reason you feel like it's not working, you can stop and you pay zero, and we still pay the developer. That's how much we trust our vetting. And we have a trial success rate of close to 90% for that two-week period. In fact, for one of our customers like Disney, we, we are now offering a four-week trial period. That's the level of rigor um, in our vetting. You have these massive companies. You mentioned just Disney, Coinbase, you mentioned as well. Some other, obviously, massive, huge companies. But at what stage do companies use Turing, or is it good for? I mean, obviously, you just kind of mentioned it, it'll choose by stage, but I'm just thinking of like, okay, vitalize this portfolio. Like, we have we invest early stage, so like pre-seed out of our community and seed out of our, our fund, and obviously they go around to raise more rounds of funding. But like, who is this for? I mean, more, more of that side of thing. Yeah, I uh, so I would say like if you're a founder starting starting a company, um, Turing would be a good good place to start after you've raised maybe like two million in funding or something like that. I yeah. think in that first pre-seed stage, it's still good to have probably a technical co-founder on the team who can who can yep. code uh, and and do that early uh, prototyping. But after you've crossed that pre-seed stage, Turing is a perfect partner. So we have customers today that range all the way from seed stage companies, Series A, Series B, to unicorns, decacorns, um, and, and like uh, and and many many others. Yeah, so it's a so every I would say Turing works for every stage except that very earliest stage when it's just the founders coding. Um, and uh, 
I would say like for if you're a seed stage company or a series A company, the value that Turing brings is optionality and parallelism in prototyping. So for example, Justin, like when you're, let's say you're starting a, a company that recommends podcasts to, to founders, yeah. um, you might be thinking, I mean, should this be a web app or should this be like an iPhone app uh, or, an, or an Android app, right? And maybe you've narrowed it to web app or iPhone app. Now, in a world before Turing, you'll probably, maybe you have budget to hire one engineer and you are like, okay, let me start with a web app. And you start with a web app, spend six months. Uh, and then if it's not working, then you'll have, think about maybe, let me, maybe I need an iPhone app. And then you might have to either fire this engineer and hire an iPhone app, iOS engineer, yeah. or uh, this, your web app engineer now has to learn how to do iOS programming, Swift programming, and launch the iPhone app. So you, you waste a year for in that prototyping stage when you're going for pre-product market fit. Now, if you were on Turing and you raised your seed round, you could explore both ideas in parallel. Hire a world-class iOS engineer to build your iPhone app, world-class full-stack engineer to build your web app, test both in parallel, and in two months, you have both live, and, and, and you can stop. Like Once you've done it, Like you can say, okay, Turing, I'm going to pause my web app engineer. The iPhone app is catching fire. And then you keep working with the iPhone app engineer. And at any time, you also have the option of uh, paying a small platform fee and taking the engineer off our platform and working uh, directly with them. So it gives you that parallelism with prototyping multiple ideas quickly. With a startup like the biggest, your biggest currency is speed. You want to go mm -hmm. fast to figure out, to hill climb your way to product market fit. And we give you that speed. One thing we have to talk about. So in 2018, you obviously have this idea, do a lot of research. You're like, this is where things are going. It's very clear and obvious to you. You talk to customers. 2020 hits, craziness happens, everything changes. Now we're in 2022 during this interview. Yep. What's next? What do you see the future of work? What are your, any thoughts around the future of work, where we're heading? I would just love to hear your perspective. Obviously, you see a lot of people hiring engineers constantly. So where do you think things are going? Yeah. The future of work is work from anywhere, but meet as needed. Work from anywhere and meet as needed. That's going to be the future of work. Um, I think we've, we've gone away from this nine to five, go to an office, commute, commute your way there. We're, we're done. Like companies, those are dinosaurs, like the companies that are, that think they can work that way. Yeah. Companies that are trapped in an office first culture, like will die a slow death over the next, next five years. They'll be overtaken by companies that say, hey, Justin, you're an amazing engineer. We don't really care where you work from. You're just, I mean, for a software engineer, like who cares where you work from? Like the open source movement was built on uh, distributed teams of developers. Crypto was built on distributed teams. And now the world has yeah. experienced distributed, distributed teams. So the future of work is remote first. Uh, with Remote first does not mean you don't meet. I think we'll just see that companies will have to be intentional about how they bring people together. For example, yeah. with my exec team, I meet uh, in person once a month. Um, uh, or we made we do offsites periodically. We do meetups. We do we 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 have smaller uh, meetups that we that we create. So 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 that's going to be the future. Yeah, it's goodbye office, hello remote. Uh, that that's going to be the uh, the, the that's going to be what we're going to see, which is great. I think we're about to enter a golden era of technology, where if you're a tech company, you you're your talent radius just expanded to the entire planet. It's no longer just, you know, whoever is living near San Francisco or Palo Alto, it's the entire planet. And if you're a tech worker, your opportunity radius is now the entire planet. Now you're not limited by jobs you can drive to with a car. 
it's you can contribute to humanity in finding the best job for you in the entire world with platforms like Turing and not just be limited by that. And I think we as a society and civilization will progress a lot faster now in a much more equitable way than uh, uh, than this whole geo lottery thing. Like we are not, nobody's going to care like what zip code you were born in. Uh, we are only going to care like what you're able to contribute. Uh, and those the, the, these old barriers are going to break down. So I'm very excited for the future of work. <laughs> Um, it would be great. It it should be interesting. And one of the things with that too, which is also something I think about, like when we look at the future of work and how you can hire from anywhere, it also though means you have competition from everywhere, right? Because yes. now you're if you're in Silicon Valley tech company previously, yes. you're competing for Silicon Valley talent with the tech companies in Silicon Valley. But now yes. you're going global. You do also compete with anyone everywhere, which is a yes. different dynamic. Which I, we'll see how it plays out, Jonathan. Yes, <laughs> it should yes. be fun. And I think, I mean, I'm looking forward to a future where the 101 is going to be empty. Um, real estate <laughs> yes. prices in the Bay Area will, will become like the rest of the U.S. It'll become much more balanced. Yes. So I think it's like, I'm excited about um, also a future where we can unleash the world's untapped human potential. Right? Yeah. And Silicon Valley was a little bit like, like it's like sipping potential, the world's potential through a straw, right? Like yeah. The, I mean, how many people could really afford to relocate to the Bay Area or what, I mean, with the visa system and many, many others? Yeah. It's hard for many people in the world to be working at the world's best companies. Not anymore. And I'm excited like that we have a way to finally bridge the opportunity gap. Yeah. And it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Where's the best place for people to learn more about Turing and connect with you if they like to as well, Jonathan? Uh, so if you go to Turing.com, uh, you can you could go there and push a button to hire your pre-vetted engineer. Or if you're an engineer, you could push a button to start uh, working for amazing Silicon Valley companies wherever you're based in the U.S. or other parts of the world. Like we just want to eliminate and kill the geo lottery. Uh, so that's where you go, Turing.com. And if you'd like to connect with me, feel free to uh, follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at John Sid, J-O-N-S-I-D-D. Uh, that's J-O-N-S-I-D-D. Uh, or you could you could send me a request on on LinkedIn. Uh, it's also open. Like one other amazing thing, uh, Justin, uh, for your for your founders listening, um, uh, I just calculated this. So at Turing, like um, we've raised about 140 million so far, and I just realized that most of that 140 million was raised over Zoom. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> we don't have to live in Silicon Valley anymore to raise capital and do stuff. Now by like more like. Most of the money I've raised, like I've raised over Zoom now, like which is kind of crazy when you think about it. That is crazy. It actually makes you think of like why we invest in this company uh, called Virtual Sapiens. It does like basically helping with your actions on Zoom to like yeah. see how you interact and how you are looking because that exact reason. Everyone's like the amount of money being moved because of Zoom and yes. this digital world. Like we also have Zoom meetings all the time at Vitalize. Like that's all we do. So like yeah. we obviously we have some in-person things, but that's it. So like this is a different world. Everything has changed and companies and founders they have to adapt to what we're kind of doing with now it's just the reality of what we're doing yeah. but i'm excited for it as well i appreciate the time jonathan this is a lot of fun and thanks for coming on the show thank you justin i appreciate it hey thanks for listening if you want to learn more about us head on over to vitalize.vc you can also follow us on twitter at vitalizevc or you can follow me on twitter at justin gordon 212 have a great day and i'll talk to you in the next episode